All right, welcome to the Avni Interviews. We're your host, Eric Bork and Mikey Taylor. What up? We're the co-founders of Avni, a brand for entrepreneurs and, and influencers and today actors. Really quickly before we jump in, we have a guest that I'm so stoked to have here today. Uh, that were? I, we. <laughs> yeah. I, I do. I, I'm it's bad just like that. a, a normal bad thing at that, every time. That I just block them out. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> I, I do do that and I catch myself and then the, the second half of the sentence, I end up saying we, yeah. <laughs> that we're so stoked to have on today. <laughs> uh, Taylor John Smith from, uh, I'll throw out a couple, HBO's new uh, miniseries, Sharp Objects, um, Cruel Intentions, and uh, The Outpost is the one he's working on or he just finished filming right now. So I'm going to give Taylor a little intro here, but really quickly, um, we're launching a couple of collectives. So we're launching a special one this year for two, this coming year for 2019. Uh, it's going to be called the Mindshare Collective. Basically, anybody who wants to stay on track past New Year's resolutions. Um, it's, a, it's a small cost to get in. And then we're going to keep it on track all year for people who do morning routines and want to reach their goals. We're also marketing, and you can find that at avnidigital.com forward slash Mindshare Collective, or just go to the site, avnidigital.com. And then also, we're launching one for people doing digital marketing, the Digital Marketing Collective. Um, Go to the site, avnidigital.com. So I want to cue this up. Um, I used to, like, probably, I want to say seven years ago, a long time ago, I used to go into this, this juice spot every morning and I would get, I would get uh, smoothies every day from this kid, this good looking kid, but like good looking, not in the, like, he's like good looking in like the badass way, right? Like Keep the, going. The, <laughs> in the, in the bad, like the Brad Pitt, like he's good looking, but he like hangs with the boys. Right. And so, um, we would talk about skating and, and kind of like he was pursuing acting. And I remember at one point he was like, you know, I'm gonna, uh, I, w- I, was, I was out golfing with, I can't remember who, some A-list celebrity and he was telling me about constantly auditioning and working. And when I see that, that's the sign for me that someone's gonna do it, is they're, they're putting in the work. It's not this like, I'm gonna be famous. I'm, it's like, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna work. And I think at the time, I don't know what project you were working on, but I remember leaving after you were like taking off from working there and going, that dude's going to be so famous. And I'm not the one to like ask to like, Hey, it's me. Like, and I'm never going to talk to him again. He's going to be like the biggest celebrity in the world. And that's, that's what I thought. But then we were skating Beebles and he started commenting on all of our photos. And I was like, this dude's rad. So here we are seven years later, Taylor John Smith. Um, thanks for being with us, dude. Thank you so much for having me, man. I'm I'm stoked to be here. We are there so stoked yeah. to have you on this. <laughs> if Mikey gets pissed, you can just move your, your yeah, mic closer to me. Toward, yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's start off. And I, I kind of want to, first of all, I'm just going to, um, we're going to get a little personal and a little, uh, just let's give the people kind of a rundown of the last, um, the last week here. And I'm just going to start this off by saying love goes out to borderline. And um, I'm going to say that quickly because I very easily get emotional about it. Um, Taylor, you're from Thousand Oaks, man. Yeah. I've been there one time. Did you go there a lot when you were a younger kid? Yeah. I mean, I took my mom salsa dancing there. Like we I took salsa, salsa dancing. Yeah. We took salsa lessons because uh, <laughs> my mom, she loves to go out and dance and uh, 
you know, at the time she like was having a, you know, relationship issues and stuff with my dad. So she wanted to go out and have like a fun night to herself. So me and my sisters and my mom, we all went, uh, because it's known as uh line dancing yeah well that's also where i learned the line dance as well i mean that was like the spot you go get beers at you know you were of age yeah it's crazy man that we're and just so anybody knows you could walk there in five minutes from where we are right now we're a mile away man and and it's i guess you'd have to run in five but yeah it's one of those things where like you hear about it all the time (laughs) and then when it happens it's just like so close to home um, that it, it, it really kind of throws you off. Uh, me and Mikey were over here working after the day after, and then immediately after that happened, uh, we all got evacuated. Taylor, your family got evacuated yeah, also. Yeah, my mom and my little brother. And um, l- luckily for me and Mikey, we just, we booked it out of town um, and our houses are fine. Um, and you guys got evacuated and every, everyone's okay, right? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's, everybody's good to go. Thank God. So, yeah. you know, it's just one of those, and I was in Vegas at the time. So my girlfriend, Jamie lives in Vegas. She's born and raised out there. Okay. And, um, it was a Wednesday night and my little sister texted me. She says borderline and my buddy, Brendan Kelly, who's actually with me at route 91, um, last year, he, he texted me that morning. He was like, uh, Hey man, what are you doing tonight? I'm like, Oh, I'm not coming back from Vegas until Friday. Um, he's like, well, you know, when you get back, let's grab a beer. Cause he invited me to grab a beer that night and he was going to borderline. And the instant she said borderline, I just knew something was wrong. I called him immediately and he, he on the phone, he's just, you could hear like the emotion in his voice and chaos in the background. He was, he was there. there. He was there. Yeah. Yeah. Brendan Kelly. Cause I heard there. there was a handful of people that were at the Vegas shooting mm-hmm. that were at borderline. Shooting. Yeah. Brendan Kelly's a, in the Marines. He's a, good friend of mine and he was with me at route 91 he was also at borderline because he was going out there that night and he invited me but i was like i'm in vegas i can't come back yet and um i just knew and i immediately called him and he's like i'm covered in blood right now i'm alive i'm good i'll call you later i love you gosh and i'm just like fuck because it stops after a while it stops feeling real like the first time it happens you're like there's no way i should still be alive right now but i am and then you get past it and you move on and then boom like that, something else happens again, and it's kind of just like. So, so you were also at Route ninety one. Yeah. Tell us about that night. You were uh, with your girlfriend. I was with my girlfriend Jamie. Um, we had gone uh, that Friday night uh, just for like a couple hours, and then we didn't go Saturday, and we still had a wristband. So, I think we were coming back from um, uh, a work meeting or something, and she was like, well, "Do you want to stop by real quick?" We're like, "Yeah." We went to the house, change. And we went in for uh, Jason Aldean, just basically like the last yeah. act of the night. Um, and uh, we got there. We're, you know, if this is the stage, we're at the front left of the stage. And we're listening to music. And we both, Jamie and I both shoot guns. So we're like, yeah, she's actually a professional shooter. She does uh, three gun competition. And oh, really? Yeah, she's really talented. Um, and so we heard uh, the first crack and no one else heard it. And me and Jamie immediately look at each other and you know if you shoot guns you know it was just like one of those like feelings in your stomach and your gut you're like that was a gunshot we both know it but none of us want to like admit that it was so we're just kind of looking at each other and then we hear bop bop we hear two more shots and instantly like grab her like what is everyone freaking out at this point no 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 one's freaking out People are, I heard two people say like, relax, it's fireworks. Like someone's throwing firecrackers as I'm trying to like, like 
pull Jamie and push through the crowd. And, you know, I'm like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And I just, there's like 15 feet left of crowd to get through. And I tell Jamie, like, you know, as soon as you get to that gate, as soon as you get to that wall, let go of me, hang on to that wall for, for your life. Because if this keeps going on, if people keep shooting, then everyone's going to stampede and run. And I yeah. need you to hang on to something. Um, and we're pushing through. There's about, I don't know, maybe like 10 more feet of crowd to get through. And then all of a sudden it just goes, da 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 uh. And people are still like, people start yelling and screaming and kind of like pay attention and realize what's going on. And I'm like pushing her to get to the gate, pushing her to get to the gate. And then all of a sudden it's just like a 15 second volley of, of gunfire and everybody freaks At out. At that point. Yeah. Everybody Jeez. freaks out. Jeez. Gosh, man. How, how was that like? what was the next week two three weeks like did it really like scare you to just be out or so i didn't sleep for the for the next three nights and i didn't really have time to process it the next morning i went um with jamie we had already um scheduled like our flights out and everything we're going to florida uh for her work and um we we didn't really like talk about it much um we didn't sleep that night so we just show up to the airport at 6 a.m and it's just kind of this weird fog, like this, oh, this heaviness sure. weighs yeah. on everybody. And that, and especially in Vegas, that went on for the next, you know, two, three weeks after that. But you just, you start like questioning things and you're like wondering what you could have done more of. And, and you get no answers because yeah. the act itself doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you're, once she got to that wall, what happened next? What did you do next? So still got a hold of her shirt and kind of like pulling her beside me and we're just moving along the gate moving along the gate and it's one of those uh gates that you know it's about yay high and it mm-hmm. separates um the like the vip lounge yep. from just the main crowd area um so we're pushing along and every, there's a lot of people that still don't know what's going on music's still playing at this point and then it was around we're like still pushing no down way yeah and it was the second big volley of gunfire that all of a sudden like you know, you see Jason Aldean run off stage yeah. and the music cuts off and all the lights go on, which I never under, understood why. If there's someone like shooting into a crowd and why they would turn on the lights and yeah. make it easier. But just the way it was. And we're, we're pushing up along and then everyone starts like running and trampling over each other. And during that like second volley of gunfire, you just hear like bullets snapping overhead and you hear yep. them like go into people like this, this like this sick thud you people's like bones snap yeah people are falling in unnatural directions it's crazy so we're we're pushing through we finally get um to the uh to like that side exit where the rvs for all the artists are mm-hmm. like where they park their you know their tour buses and whatnot and there's this giant green like 10 foot tall um fence with that that tarp that goes around it yeah. so no dust blows through and people are running and uh, and trying to like hop over the fence because there's no to the to the right is where the shooting's coming from right. and to the left is a dead end. So we you know you got to go over that fence. Um, so you know Jamie couldn't climb it right away, and I, I kind of grabbed her by her shorts and you know her back, and I just toss her over, and she ends up getting this like cut on the inside of her leg, but she hopped over, and then I got a run and start and like hopped up and jumped over and people, once we got over in the RV ground, they were just like, what the fuck's going on? What's going on? Cause they could hear it, but they didn't understand why all of a sudden 30, 40 people are all hopping the fence at yeah. once trying to get over. 
and um, we end up running through the RVs. We go to um, Maverick Helicopters. It's just like right, it's like maybe 250 yards from uh, like the, the main um, stage. Mm-hmm. And we run there and people are like banging on the glass, like let us in because the, the gunshots like kept getting closer for some reason. Like we, we just kept hearing the gunshots get closer and we didn't know what was going on at the time. So in our eyes, there was a bunch of people with guns and they're walking through the crowd and, and, you know, trying to kill as many people as possible. And so we're trying to get in, finally open up the gate and they don't know what's going on. And we're kind of trying to explain them real quickly. Um, people start pouring in. We're, we're still at the entrance and more and more people are pouring in, um, until like, there's something inside of you that says like, it's coming this way. And, and I'm like, babe, we got to go and we got to go in, uh, and get inside. So we go and I'm like, let's get in the bathroom for now. We turn the corner and there's a girl on the ground with her friend and there's blood everywhere in the bathroom. Jeez. And this, her friend, this, this, this woman was taking these brown paper towels and she was not like applying pressure to the gunshot wounds, but she was just like trying to wipe the blood. And she, she was like in a stand in like a trance almost. And she's, she's like, in shock, she's right? like, I can't make it stop. I can't. Yeah. They're both in shock. And, uh, I, I take my belt off and I um, I put a tourniquet on her arm and I realized that uh, she had been shot twice. One went through and like, I think broke the bone. The other one went through and through her arm. There was just, she lost a lot of blood already. Um, so I put like a tourniquet on her with my belt and I picked her up and I brought her into the um, supplies room for the Maverick helicopters. They had like bottles of champagne and, and snacks for like the people that were going to fly on the helicopters. They had like paper towels, like one of those big supply rooms. Um, and we're in there and, and kept asking around, like, is anybody a medic? Is anybody, you know, EMT, a nurse, whatever. And we, we couldn't find anybody for a while, but people kept pouring in, people kept pouring in. And, um, I just like kind of stayed with, uh, stayed with her. And then finally someone was like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm a physician's assistant. I'm a PA like let me take over took over and went towards the back of of this room and it was a like it was the first time i was able to make a rational thought where i'm like i'm i'm gonna die tonight yeah i really i like i had to make my peace with god and i was like all right like thank you for the you know the life that you've given me i know it's you know coming to a close I want to go out on my feet. I want to go out on my feet. And I started, I don't know why I did this, but started breaking open the boxes of Dom Perignon. Sorry, Maverick helicopters. <laughs> and uh, there was like 12 bottles in this box. And I started uh, handing them out to people because there's three different entrances to that room. I started handing them out to people like you two stay by this door, you two stay by this door. And like, if anybody comes through, fucking chuck it at them, use it as a club, whatever. But there was n- everything else was like soft things like plates and yeah. uh, paper towels and, you know, snacks. That was the only like hard thing in there. And, um, once we did that, I was at the back, uh, uh the back door with Jamie. And I was like, I was like, I got to call my mom. You know, that was the first thing I was like, mom, she was like, hi, honey, what's going on? You know, like casual conversation. I was like, mom, I love you so much. There's a shooting. I'm okay for right now, but I love you so much. Thank you for, for such an amazing life. And um, I, I just, I love you. I got to go. 
And it was like, this might actually be goodbye. I knew in my heart that I was like, this is, this is it. Yeah. Because the shots kept getting louder and louder. Like they were getting closer and closer for some reason. I never under, understood why. And, um, uh, and I, yeah, I just called my mom and, uh, and I called my dad who I don't have the greatest relationship with, but it's in those moments where you're kind of like all that negativity and resentment just flows yeah. away and you're like, I love you. So I have a question for you. Yeah. What's it like? You, your girlfriend's name is Jamie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's it like going through that with, with Jamie? Did that like, was it just this crazy bond or, um, I couldn't imagine going through that. Yeah, it, we definitely grew closer together because of it. I think if you can go through something like that and come out on the other side alive, um, it, it teaches you to, to value certain things um, in your relationship, the time you have. And I think because I acted the way that I did and I didn't hesitate, and I didn't you know panic or scramble, um, I was able to get her out. And that was like my only thing I was, I was worried yeah. about. Make sure Jamie's safe, make sure Jamie's safe. Um, and, uh, I think she appreciated that and she's such a boss. She handled the whole situation like a, a pro. Like, it's amazing. And, uh, yeah, it definitely brought us closer together, but it's also, it's not like a fun, uh, no, connection to have. No, yeah. not at all. It's, it's insane. And I kn- I actually know a couple of people that were there also and for months they were just, you could tell it would, they were, they're like, oh, we're fine. No, you could just tell it was they had literally been in, if you put it in the terms, that's almost, or if you put it in a perspective, I mean, that is almost like being on the beach of Normandy. That's how crazy that was for, you know, people that were there. That's, that was a crazy one, man. Yeah. So that, that was, um, thanks for sharing that. I told you yeah. I was going to kind of go deep there, but, um, thanks for, uh, thanks for sharing that, man. Of course. Let, let's let's move into acting. Okay. So <laughs> what a segue. What a segue. I was seriously going, how in the hell is he gonna? It just you know I I thought about talking about it or not, and here here's why. Um, people want to know, like you hear you know all the stuff that's going on in Malibu right now. Yeah. It's like people just. I really really hate when people try to get in spotlights. I don't like that. I hate that. But people want to know how are people in Malibu doing? How are people in yeah. Thousand Oaks doing? And it's weird. Because they never, care at the at the core of they it do. all. They, people care. And I think if you give people that opportunity to say, hey, how are you doing versus assuming someone's okay or not asking at all, yep. I think it's a disservice in a way. So Yeah. And um, like I, Joe Rogan posting all the um, the firefighters in his backyard. Yeah, like I love seeing. Up the elk yeah. meat. You know? I thought yeah. that was sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was awesome. I love I so seeing like, what's going on and how people come together and and um, become strong through it. It's a tragedy and it's not fun and it's not a, a good thing to have been through at all, but, um, thanks for sharing. Yeah, of course, man. Um, so let's, um, start with where did acting start for you? Is it something you've always done or how did you get, how did it, how was it born? I, so I grew up in Virginia and one of the places we lived nearby was Quantico, the Marine base. Okay. And ever since I was a little kid, ever since I was a little kid, I wanted to be a soldier. That's just like what I wanted to do. No way. Yeah. There's pictures of me at like nine years old with, uh, you know, fatigues that I bought from army surplus store, uh, you know, a a gun I made out of wood and like a huge oversized helmet. And I would just like 
put dirt and mud on my face and run around in the woods by myself for like hours. Like that's what I want. I wanted to help people and I wanted to fight bad guys. That was it. Um, and then when I was about 13, almost 14, my mom got a job offer as a nurse out in uh, Los Robles, like Thousand Oaks area. So she brought me and my, uh, my three siblings out. And then it was around 16 or, or uh, 16, almost 17. And um, I was working at... Uh, <laughs> I was working at Sun Life, Sun Life Organics, Organics, man, and uh, Equinox, like right down the street. Um, and I was just trying to like help out the family, put you know food on the table, and do what I could. Do you still want to be in? Do you still want to be a Marine or Army so at this point? Funny enough, I was doing PT at the recruiting station right down the street. From oh no here. way! Yeah, oh, wow. yeah. I had a couple buddies, um, older buddies that were in the Marines, and then my sister Chelsea, her boyfriend at the time, John, he was in the Marines as well, and so I just like hung out with those guys, looked up to those guys. We'd go on, you know, uh, like rock hikes and, you know, we'd go run in the trails and work out. And that was just what I wanted to do. Um, and then my little sister got approached at a mall by a casting director who was like, we really love your look. Um, if you're interested, come in, check out this acting school we have. And at the time we were on food stamps. Oh, no way. Yeah, at the time no we were on way. food stamps. And Thousand Oaks, you have all places. Um, Wait, really? Yeah. And your mom was a nurse? This is after she had, had got hurt at work. Oh, that's yeah. right. That's right. Um, and uh, so we didn't have any money, really. And uh, my little sister was obsessed with the idea of being a Disney actress. And she was like, you know, in the moment, she's like, oh, that's so cool. I really want to do it. Um, and the first uh, two classes, it was like 70 bucks or something for the introductory classes. And um you know, my mom scraped together the money and uh, came time for Lexi to go the first night on Tuesday and she, she ended up not wanting to go. And my mom, you know, not, she didn't want to waste the money or anything. Um, and I didn't want her to feel like she wasted the money. So I decided to go in place of my little sister. And no I went that first night. And Did you have any desire to act at this point? Or was it just like, no, mom, I'm I, just gonna you go. just Dude, wanted to be I a thought, soldier. That's so crazy. I, I thought never movies came that. out of vending machines growing up. When I went to Blockbuster... I didn't see a film set. I didn't see cameras. No way. I see VHSs and DVDs. That was it. So I, I didn't know there were, you know, even moving out to California, it was like surfing and skateboarding were like the two things yeah. that, that like popped in my mind, not like making movies. You know, as a kid growing up, that's just, that didn't, I mean, I lived in Virginia. It's like yeah. the farthest possible yeah. place in the United States I could get from Hollywood. Um, so I ended up going to that, that class and this woman, Pamela Shea, who was a casting director and she was teaching the class. Um, kind of like brought me in and introduced me and I was supposed to audit it, which is basically where you sit in and watch everybody else do their thing. And I was 16, 17 at the time and everybody else was like 25 and above. Like it was like an adult mm. class. And I remember the first night, you know, I was quiet, didn't say anything. I just wanted to get the three hours over with and hop back in the car and go home. <laughs> and she made me uh, get together with a partner and we had to do this SNL skit about like a first date and this, you know, not very bright girl um, and him are playing the, the cloud game where they're trying to guess shapes and stuff. It was a, a silly skit, but it was the first time I got to make people really laugh and kind of surprise me and I think surprised them. And I'm like, oh, that was, I felt pretty good. And that was, <laughs> that was fun. Um, and she talked to me after she said I did great and, you know, really was looking forward to learning more about me and came in that next Thursday um, I did uh, the second class, and it was this. Uh, it was 
thing about acting is it makes you get out of your shell and your comfort zone mm-hmm. so quick. It's like sink or swim. And there's this uh, movie streetcar named Desire, and there's that scene where he's screaming out, you know, Stella, Stella, and everyone was doing it in the class. And I guess the the purpose of this was to just really like let go of yourself and stop worrying about what other people were thinking about you or what you were thinking about yourself and just like fully give into the scene where you're just like screaming at the top of your lungs. And I did it and I started like tearing up and crying and I didn't know why, but it was just like all this pent up emotion and, and like confusion, I think from, from events in my life that led up to this point. I was like, I can finally let it out. Huh. And it was this, this release moment. I'm like, wow, no way. that was it, you know? And I still couldn't afford the, um, the acting classes. And I told her after, I'm like, um, thank you so much for having me, but I don't, I don't think I'm going to be coming back. It was just kind of like me taking my sister's place. And I really appreciate your time. And um, she pulled me aside and was like, there's something really special about you. And um, I really want you to consider doing this. And I told her the situation. We didn't really have money. It wasn't uh, it, it wasn't in the cards for me. And um, she ended up talking to me for about another hour and a half, making my, uh, my, <laughs> making my mom wait in the car. And uh, she was like, oh, I'd love to sponsor you and prorate your classes. So ended up through my grandparents' help as a, as a birthday gift, getting able at a discounted rate to go for the next year, my senior year of high school. And I went as much as I could. And you guys know each other at this point. Well, the, the funny thing is, I'm going to jump in here because I... I kind of, so I didn't, I wouldn't say I stereotyped you, but I would go into Sun Life and it, it's all like, oh, yep. hang on, before I have a story, easy to for do. everyone listening, easy to do. for everyone listening, Borg picks a place, <laughs> this was Sun Life oh, at this okay. time, he picks a place and he goes there every single day. I do. Makes friends with all the employees. Yeah, they super nice guy. Every yeah. day, right? So it was Sun Life and then it was Chipotle and now it's Joy Cafe. Right now, now it's Joy Cafe. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm whenever I in, go somewhere, then when Eric goes, hey, you want to go to Sun Life? Sure. We go in, and everyone knows. Yeah. What's up, Eric? Hey, what's up, John? Hey, what's up, Taylor? <laughs> hey, what's up? It's like, oh my gosh, dude. So the funny so, thing, just wanted so to make the I, rounds. I just so everybody knows. Yeah. I, I do do that, and the the funny thing is though, is like I would go in there regularly, and I would like kind of see the crowd, and it was like a lot of younger girls and a lot of a lot of the people that worked there kind of like came from money so i had no idea that that's what you were going through at the time well, no thousand idea. oaks is like a nice area and, yeah and the, also the area that we're in so i just thought that you know you were like the standard rich kid from the area which is so crazy to hear your story you know but i the, but what i was gonna say is dude there was a light about you man there i would walk in and you were always smiling and that's that's what it was. There's very few people that I've like soloed out and been like, that dude's going to pull it. Mikey Taylor is one of those dudes. Taylor John Smith is one of those dudes. And I remember we had the conversation when you had to, you were like, my name's Taylor Smith. And I'm like, dude, it sounds too much like Taylor Swift. You got to like do something. And you're like, I got to figure it out like in the next like few days. And you're like, yeah, well, I, I don't think it sounds too much like Taylor Swift. Like, I think it's good, but someone else already has that name. So I got to pick, we like, I, do, yeah. I don't even know if you remember you're that conversation. We were no, talking no about, way. cause my middle name is John, yeah. Taylor John Smith. And you know, Taylor Smith. I never go by that anymore. It's always Taylor John Smith, just because I've had that happen so many times. We're like, oh, like Taylor Swift. I'm like, yeah, the first person that's <laughs> no ever way. said that. But yeah, so we we had the conversation, and that's when he was like, oh, I'm gonna go off and do this, and that's when I was like, dude, you're gonna have a great life. I know you're gonna pull it. And I, the only reason I think we stayed in touch, I can't remember if I already said this in the podcast, is because we were skating Beebles, and I was expecting to see you like 
in like lead of some movie in like 10 years, which I actually did. Um, <laughs> well, sharp objects, but we would skate Beebles and he kept commenting on the, the photos and staying in touch. So I'm like, this dude, I knew he was cool, but he's so cool. So <laughs> that's how we stayed in touch. Um, so at that point, basically you're doing, you're just starting acting. Yeah. Um, so I graduated high school. I'd done the year of acting class. Okay. Um, were you good right away? What was it she saw? Uh, so you were just really nice. You had the right look or I, you were I good I think at there it. was something, uh, no, it wasn't a look. I didn't look like this at all. I mean, I was, you were skinny, dude. I was skinny. Yeah. Uh, before that I was like 200 pounds in eighth grade. So I oh, went really? through a lot. Yeah. I've been through like a ton of ups and downs. So there was a, a point where I got bullied so much. One day I came home and I was just, you know, it sounds weird, but I was just took off my clothes. I stared at myself in the mirror and I was just like, had like angry tears in my eyes. I'm like, are you happy with yourself? Cause I stress ate all the time and shit. Um, and I remember I put on um, a pair of running shoes that I forgot I had. <laughs> and uh, I ended up running till I couldn't run anymore that day. Like till I literally, my legs would not take me. And I did that over and over every day. So when you saw me skinny at Sun Life, that was, you know, coming from 200 pounds to like 155 pounds just from running. Crazy. I was unhappy with the way I looked and the way I felt and the way people treated me. So I made that change. What, what was it that they that they saw like was it it wasn't your looks apparently Mm -mm, no talent at it (laughs) um i i think i i was just talented at it and there was something natural i had no prior experience no prior coaching or knowledge and there was just i think something in me that wanted to get out wanted to have Mm -hmm. a voice wanted to say something wanted to make other people feel something that Mm -hmm. was you know growing up i was always the the class clown like if i could make people laugh and you know make people feel good then I had my boxes checked because that was that was important to me. I mm. wanted people to like me and I mm. wanted to like myself. And I think it started from that. And then when it came to acting, it was like I was going through such a, you know, a, a crazy point in my life um, that I had all this emotion pent up, all these all these thoughts and frustrations and worries and, and dreams. And I was able to pull those out and put them into my work in class. And it mm. became an escape for me. It was mm. something that I needed to do. Like, yeah. like therapy or, you know, I don't know, some, like something that I required of myself because mm-hmm. I needed it for, for my soul. And I enjoyed making people feel something. I enjoyed telling people stories and, you know, showing a little piece of myself um, to anybody that was willing to listen. Yeah. So what I want to touch on, I want to make sure we touch on this is the work. So let's talk about the work and and really kind of what we highlight in our show and what I want to touch on in your career is you've put in work. When I would talk, when I would come in and talk to you, you were always like, and I probably talked to you about acting like twice, dude, like maybe three times, but you would tell me this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. So tell us about the work that you put in. Because it didn't just all happen at once. No. I mean, even driving down to... So I'm working two jobs. I'm working at Sun Life and I'm working at Equinox. And after I graduated high school, I was going to community college. So Oh, wow. There That's was, full schedule. Yeah, full schedule. And there was times where I would have, um, you know, before, like in between that summer, before I went to community college, um, I would get off a shift drive down all the way not even have time to like pull over and get gas or use the bathroom because i I, my timing was like you know i get off at 2 30 and i got an audition at 4 or 4 15 and it's an hour and a half away you know without traffic yeah and i would i would be like 
pissing in coffee cups <laughs> while driving, trying to like make the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Make the audition and then get back for a night shift at Equinox. Crazy. Um, so it, it was, it was that every single day. And I mean, so many no's, you know, there were so many Tell times. Tell us about a no, a specific no that was hard for you. Mm. Oh, specific no. Or was it more of, I think they're all hard, you know, because as a, as an artist, you know, whatever platform you're using to, to promote art, when people say no to you, it's personal. They say no to like, it feels like they say no to your soul. Like not no to your work, not, you know, you were great. It's like, not you, Taylor, not you. And I think think that's, uh, it it takes a toll on you. So those times where you're driving up and you have $15 in your bank account and you need to get gas and you're worried that you're going to waste three hours of your day there and back hearing a no and then having to sit with it on the way home. And I had to keep going, you know, I had to keep going because one, I, I didn't know what else to do at that point. It was just, I was kind of set on it. My mind was set on it. Um, but there was many times where I left just tears in my eyes. Cause I'm like, I'm, tr- I'm trying to do my best. I think I'm doing my best, but it was like 99 or hundred no's before y- you get somebody to say yes to you. Gosh, your story is so much uh, different than I thought. Yeah. Go ahead, what, what it, so did you have to do anything to like keep yourself going or was it this year? Like, this is all I have. I got to make it happen. Cause um, a lot of people, uh, that's questions I hear a lot. It's like, how do you get past no's or how do you get past it not working? And when you're going through a hundred no's, there's gotta be something that that's keeping you moving forward. Right. Um, one, it was, you know, the great support from my mom. She's like my rock, you know, and she was really pushing me to, to pursue it cause it made me happy. Um, and two, I was man of the house at that point, you know, at 16, I mm. became man of the house and, um, hence me working two jobs and trying to go to high school and, you know, trying to keep everybody at peace at home. Uh, and I, I knew I, if, if I just put acting out of the picture, I could probably get a, a job that would pay a little bit more money and it would be a safe bet and the bills would be paid and, you know, we could stay in that apartment and everything would be fine. Um, but my mom actually pointed out that I was the one that was unhappy because there were so many auditions I couldn't go to because of work. I was afraid that if I missed a shift, I would lose my job. Or if I missed a shift, you know, I wouldn't be able to keep the lights on this month. You know, th- those were the thoughts that were going on in my mind. And when I went to community college, um, I, I stopped kind of auditioning altogether just because of that fear. I needed to get good grades. I needed to get a degree. I needed, you know, to, uh, to put food on the table. And um, I think it was like uh, two months into community college, my mom pulled me aside and she was like, you're miserable. You yeah. haven't been going on auditions. You're not happy. I see how stressed out you are. And you come home and you put a smile on your face and, you know, pretend everything's a-okay for the rest of us. She told me, like, quit one of your jobs tomorrow. Because I had an audition that very next day. Quit one of your jobs tomorrow. You're going on that audition. And she's like, I don't know financially, like, how it's going to work out. But you're quitting your job and you're going to do what you love. Because if you don't do it now, you know, chances are you're never going to really commit to it. And... I called up Khalil, amazing guy who owns Sun Life. And I said, Hey, thanked him. I was like, I really appreciate the job. And it means a ton to me that you gave me this opportunity. Um, I got to stop working. Um, there's some other things that came up and it was really hard to do that. And really scary. Uh, I don't remember feeling that scared prior to that in in a while. Um, 
because it was like taking that giant leap of faith. And I went to that audition, which I had auditioned like two or three months. And it was for a guest star role on um, this TNT show called Perception. And I went in and I ended up getting it. And it was a, a you know guest star role. It's like uh, the main character or the main subject for that episode. So it's not a, a huge deal, but at the time it was a big deal. Was this it, the first one you got? Yeah, yeah. Nice. And um, and I think it was after I kind of made that leap of faith where there was no turning back that I, that you know, God was like, all right, you know, here's here's a little breadcrumb. You know, yeah. you're on you're on the right path. Yeah. So what 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 were some of the early roles that you got that were memorable? Actually, you know what? You go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, I, I have two things on mm-hmm. that. But but one. At 16, did you even realize what was going on with you having all these responsibilities that a 16-year-old should not have at that point? Mm, yeah. You, you yeah. recognize it. Yeah, was there it, any part of you that was like, this is unfair or I can't do this? Or was it just, look, I have to do this? It, of course, like as a kid, you're like, why me? You yeah. Know? yeah. But at the same time, and you know, that same sentence, if not me, then who? Yeah. My mom, you know, had lost her job. She got hurt at work. Um, and I got three siblings. And we live in Thousand Oaks, so moving from Virginia to California, California's expensive, man. Yeah, it's expensive, yeah. Um, so just, if not me, then then who was basically on my mind? So I kind of, in a way, I I just took it all and put it on my shoulders and and trucked through. But the, all the time, I was I was frustrated. I was depressed. You know, I, I went through a very like low point in my life where I uh, everything that I did didn't seem to add up, or it didn't seem to make a big enough dent to to warrant like an okay keep keep going this way you're you're on the yeah. right track um but yeah it, was, it fucking sucked gosh yeah that's I, I, but it made me who i am and i wouldn't change it for the world you know yeah. i'm so grateful for I it. i love it dude yeah. i love that that's amazing i n- i never knew that dude he you never complained you never said anything and you always had a smile on your face what was your other question mikey um shit well, okay let's remember, keep going you go first going it'll come to me it'll come to me tell us about some of the early roles you got in the work that goes in and kind of what it's like uh working for it in the early stages um yeah i was always the the person on set that asked questions you know and i'd have like two lines for a small you know tv <laughs> show like a you know recurring uh you know just literally two lines like jock number four <laughs> and and there were so many of those that i went in and like and I, and I got, uh, I was just so happy to be on set and I wasn't even really there to be like, okay, this is the next step. You know, I'm going to get, you know, five or six more of these. And I'm going to do big, it was just like, I'm so stoked to be here. Yeah. I'm so happy to be there. I'll be asking, you know, the grips, like, you know, how they do what they do. The lighting guys, like, why are you using the, you know, this, what's that light called? Oh, it's a celeb. Okay, cool. And I'd be like jotting things down. I have this notebook and I'd ask you know, directors that would shoo me away because I was nobody. And I'd be like, well, you know, what's the, why are you doing a French two over shot for this, for this? I would just ask questions. Yeah. Like, what is that? Why did you choose to do that? I was so curious. I, I wanted to become a sponge. Um, and uh, I was just so stoked to be there. Very nervous though at the same time, but I thankfully didn't grow up in this industry. So I, you know, most people would probably be like, don't interrupt the director, don't interrupt oh, the yeah. producers, but I didn't know any better. You know, I'm, I've introduced myself right away. I'd ask questions and, uh, and there were so many other people that, you know, like, you know, extras or smaller roles that would kind of shy away from it. Like, you know, I just got to do my job, stay in my totally. lane, get paid and go home. For me, I was like, if I'm going to be here for 12 hours for the next four or five days, like I'm 
I'm going to squeeze it for all it's worth. So tell us about a specific one. I noticed that the Hunger Games, for example, or if that's not the best example, that was when you were just getting started. It's actually a funny one. I, uh, there's this thing called actor's access that someone told me about, uh, when I was working on like a little small little role and they're like, Oh yeah. If you, um, if you like type in your name and you put a picture up, you can submit yourself for, for roles for movies and TV shows. And I was like, okay, cool. I signed up for it and I was like creating an account and they asked you like, your special skills and talents. And I saw like jet skiing on there, like, like all this weird, I'm like, I don't move past all that. And I clicked on the first thing that popped up. It said untitled film project. And I clicked on it and there was no breakdown. None of the characters. I just clicked submit to see if it, the website would work. And I got an email the next day and it was like, Hey, um, you know, we're filming the hunger games. We're doing like, uh, for the in- intro to the show, uh, our intro to the movie, we're going to do like uh, a recap of what happened prior to the point where Jennifer mm. Lawrence is like, you know, hunting in the woods and yeah. you, you get introduced to that whole world. Like, um, you were chosen to come in. I need you to come in for a fitting tomorrow at, you know, so-and-so time. And I didn't know what the hunger games was. I didn't read the books and they didn't say that at that time. I found out when I got to the fitting and I went to the fitting and then that next day I went and like filmed up in, um, uh, like Camarillo area up in the mountains somewhere. And it was super small. I didn't have any lines or anything, but it was cool to be on like a, a legit big film set. Yeah. And that was, that was crazy to me because it was so much more massive than I had ever imagined, especially a big budget movie like that. Uh, it was kind of shocking to me. And, um, that was the first time I'd used that. And the last time I had used that, cause it was just so confusing yeah. after that point. <laughs> so as far as making it as an actor, um, what are some of the things that you did? I really like how you said you you would ask questions on set because mm-hmm. that's I, I've I've heard a few people say that oh you don't talk to certain people you don't yeah that's so, like an unwritten rule yeah. I, I did not know and I'm grateful that I didn't because you just did it yeah um, is there anything else and if you don't if you can't think of anything right now just as we go along think of anything that you can throw out there we like to cover how people did it and um and do you have anything you can think of right now. Um, well ask questions for sure. And, um, I, I think the one thing that people, it's so simple that people miss out on is, uh, genuine kindness. When you're interested and you're kind to people, they'll take you under your wing more, you know, and get you farther than you could have done on your own. And there's, there's a lot of bad shit in this world, but there's nothing better when someone's unexpectedly nice to you or like genuinely cares about how you're doing. And when you start creating these relationships, even if it's one day on a set, you meet people, you talk, you open up, and and they'll give you lots of insight and advice. And and, and they'll root for you. And they'll root for you, yeah. They, they really, and people don't forget. I mean, I, there's been you know times where I was a nobody, you know, extra in a TV show, and then I go in and uh, you know, I'm going for a director session, which is when the casting director and the director are there to make their final choices for whoever's going to get a role. And they're like, Oh, I remember you were an extra on, on this show. And I was like, that was three years ago. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, well you just, you know, you're really nice and you're really kind. You kind of stood out and like people don't forget. And I didn't know straight up, man. Taylor is the only person I think that's ever told Tommy. Thank you. Tommy, (laughs) Tommy, how many times you've been told, told thank you once. Not, not, not to be negative towards anybody else, but Taylor is a, a nice dude. So, 
Let, let's let's kind of move into uh, cruel intentions. And I have a I have a funny uh, story for you. We uh, when we were on skate tours, when I was a pro skateboarder, we had three movies: New Jack City, and we were we were on this tour for like two months. I don't know if you were on this, Mikey. Were you? Which one was it? When we watched uh, Cruel Intentions and Can't Hardly Wait over and over and over. <laughs> Santa Cruz tour. It was a Santa Cruz trip. Yeah. No. So we we were in Sacramento. We would watch New Jack City. Can't Hardly Wait with Jennifer Love Hewitt and Cruel Intentions. Those were the movies we had because back then it was VHS. And we would watch so them funny. over and over and over. So when I heard you were doing Cruel Intentions, I knew exactly what it was. But that, I, I want to know about that because Wait, you- Which one was Cruel Intentions? Cruel Intentions is the one with uh, the two Sarah girls Michelle Gellar. Oh, yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. And Ryan Phillippe, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, Ryan Phillippe. So- w- did you film? What happens when a show doesn't get picked up? Tell was that a was that this a was hard be, setback was, for you? Tell us about that. And this was gonna be a TV show. Right? Yeah, so this is gonna be a TV show um, through Sony and NBC. And at the time when we filmed it, it was the most expensive pilot that NBC had ever shot. It was like wow, it was a lot of money, like eight million or something like eight and a half million. And um, a pilot's not guaranteed. A pilot's not guaranteed. But for someone to put almost ten million dollars into the first episode, yeah. they're pretty solid and pretty pretty focused on the fact that it's going to get picked up. So that's why they're putting all that money and energy and time into it. And this is your first lead role, right? Yeah. This is like, you my, were Ryan Phillippe. You were Ryan Phillippe's nephew or something. I was his son. Cause you remember oh, at the end of the movie, um, Reese Witherspoon has, uh, has a baby or she gets pregnant. Oh from, yeah. yeah. You were the baby. And I become the heir to the Valmont fortune. Okay. And I grew up in a, you know, in a farm in a small town because my mom ran away from that whole life got you and i find his journal one day um after my uh my stepfather's funeral and find the journal and i realize that like this whole life has been hidden from me so i go out to san francisco and kind of try and discover who my dad my real dad was you know who i am where i come from and uh like do a little bit of soul searching and that's how i get into san francisco Mm. and they find out that i am the the heir of the valmont fortune i'm supposed to take over the the whole uh, you know the whole place. Gosh, so what happened? Um, at the end of the episode, or no, with the with, with the you. Cool <laughs> attention, uh, <laughs> um, so I ended up Sony and NBC. They got into um, kind of like a, a an argument of sorts. They, to my knowledge, I think they wanted to to figure out who um, was going to get to put the show on their app because they both wanted to come out with like a online platform huh. app where you could watch the shows. And I don't think they could come to an agreement before upfronts, which is where all the the pilots and the new TV shows go to advertisers so they can watch it and mm. see what kind of show it is so they can see if it's good for their brand to advertise on during commercials. And they couldn't figure out, um, the, I guess, like who was doing what prior to upfronts. And it became this this big legal battle, I assume. So it never made it to upfronts. It never made it to upfronts. No way. Yeah. So how was that for you? Tell tell us how that hit you. I, we did that pilot for a month. I made some amazing friends. Roger Cumble, who directed the original movie, you know, was directing okay. the TV show. It took a month. It takes a month to do one episode because well, we were filming in San Francisco or filming in LA uh-huh. in Marina Del Rey there's a lot of different locations um and this at this point is kind of is your big break yeah this is like this is going to be like the you know breakout show and everyone was excited about it 
um, Lindsay Rosen and, and, uh, Jordan Ross were like two amazing writers on it and they were super stoked and they had like a, the whole, you know, season already planned out in their mind and they were telling me Gosh. what they, so in my mind it was a done deal and it was, I was stoked, you know, I was going to make pretty good money down the line once it got picked up and it ended up not happening. It was one of those things where it just absolutely crushed. And I felt that way right before I ended up getting it at, um, uh, there, it's kind of like a, it's a table read where the mm-hmm. whole cast gathers around, um, yeah. and all the executives, you know, and the, the studio heads are all there and they listen to you read the script out loud. And this is the first time I'd gone to a table read. So I didn't know that after the, you finish writing the table read, there's a discussion and they decide who they're going to keep and who they're going to, uh, recast. Oh, wow. And I had never known that. So afterwards I'm like, Oh, it felt great. You know, where are we going next? Oh, we're going to go to this restaurant. It's open bar. And I'm like, why is it open bar? Um, maybe to celebrate or something. And I get there and everyone's kind of like sitting down nervously. And, and, and I was like, what's going on? They're like, well, this is when we wait and they decide who to keep and who to let go or replace. And I was like, what? My heart just dropped. Yeah. Cause then I didn't know that was a, I just thought once I auditioned for, you know, four or five times it was and they were sure it was mine but you know there's people way above me that have final say i mean real final say and thank god everybody there um they loved yeah Yeah. they stayed and we ended up shooting the pilot but then it ended up not going anywhere but even that it's just like a a big blessing in disguise because i think it would have been great if it mm-hmm. went through and there would have been amazing aspects of that i would have got to work with people i grew to love and respect but it ended up closing and that whole time frame where I would have been filming opened up for new projects and great things came from that, you know, great opportunities. So it's like that door closed and another one opened that, um, you know, I think was better in the long run for sure. Which was, uh, were you referring to a specific project? Was it sharp object? There was, um, so I had gone to CAA, the, um, that was my agency at the time. And, uh, after that had happened, um, I, uh, there was three auditions I went on uh, back to back to back. And it was You Get Me was a Netflix film. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then I, I got that right after. Uh, and then Hunter Killer was um, another uh, a movie I did in London um, for Millennium. And that was the mm-hmm. audition I did after that. And then after that, I did Sharp Objects. So it was like three things back to back to back that would have been totally out of the running if I was still doing that TV yeah. show. So. So let me ask you a question. You get me was produced by, um, what's it called? I'm, I know it, but I'm forgetting it. Netflix or awesomeness films. Awesomeness. Yeah. Yeah. And is that, so to get a role, like your role in sharp objects is crazy. Like you're, you're a lead role. Um, do you need to have something behind you usually where people like the executives can trust you to have done something like you get me because you get me, you're the lead, but it, it's, it's not, not as the, big. No, and it's not the same kind of film at all. That's what, kind of where I was going. Um, I, I definitely had to audition for, for Sharp Objects. You Get Me, is yeah. a, it was a really fun movie, but it's, uh, you know, it's for like the 25 and under crowd. Right. And then Sharp Objects is a dark, dark psychological, you know, drama, crime thriller that is completely different than yeah. that movie. And um, I think you do need to have, you definitely need to have a few roles under your belt and the the more prestigious and the, um, you know, the greater caliber of people that you get to work with mm-hmm. cause you to rise by association. Yeah. 
And then when you go out for something and they look at your past credits, they're like, oh, I liked him in that, or, you know, I've never heard of that. And they, they do sometimes decide on that. But at the end of the day, um, the director is going to decide whether he believed that you connected with the material or not. Mm -hmm. And that he believes or she believes that you can come up and, and do this role to the best of your ability yeah, and, and do it better than, you know, the other people, the other, however many hundred people auditioned for it. Um, you know, do it better in their eyes or, or more truthfully than, than they did. How much different is TV than movies? So it, it's, it's very different in a way where you get to, in TV, you get to flesh out characters over a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. And you got to do it in an hour and a half in a movie. You got to yeah. see character start in point A, go through something, uh, you know, monumental and then end up a changed person at the end. And that has to happen in an hour and a half. So if you have 10 episodes or 12 episodes, that's like, you know, that's it's like a seven hour. I mean, it's like a seven episode movie, yeah. basically. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, And uh, I, I think there's so much more opportunity to f- find deeper characters and explore them more as an audience. You get to see things that you normally wouldn't get to fit into a, um, a movie schedule per se, that you can do in TV. So it makes it interesting. It's like long form storytelling. So why the switch that's happening now where it seems like more actors are spending time with series as opposed to movies? Because the, Is it because of that or is it more? Is it a financial thing? Is it both? From an acting standpoint, I don't think it's financially driven at all. Like it's hmm. always going to go up and down, but it's just because there's such good writing on TV right now. So that's yeah. what it's, the, writing, like, yeah. the writing's amazing. And there's great writing in, in movies as well. Like it's, we're in a, in a phenomenal time, but the, the difference is how much time do you get to stay with your character and yeah. grow? And, and what kind of arc, like how big of an arc do you really get to explore in an hour and a half versus, you know, 12 hours worth totally. of, mm-hmm. yeah, worth, yeah, worth of the that, story. That so really I think people sense. are attracted to that. I think writers are attracted to that. I think, um, you know, directors are attracted to that because it, there's no constraint like, uh, having to squeeze an entire story into an hour and a half. So, people's minds just don't go blank and they get bored for sure yeah Yeah. but if you have an hour every week you know people are like okay what's gonna happen next week and they get excited about it you know i got excited about working what's it like when you watch a movie do you are like oh god this changed for me yeah this changed for me that's how i hate it sometimes it's how i am when i watch skate videos right it's different for me than like a normal person do you is it like you breaking down the actor instead of watching the film (laughs) i'm not i'm no longer and and this might be because i want to direct and and you know i want to write and produce so it might be because of that but i no longer feel like an audience member uh sometimes I'm watching movies. I'm like, Oh, that's so cool that they did that shot or what an interesting choice for an actor or, Oh, that's such an amazing line. And I'm like taking notes mentally and you know, I'm just trying to like remember things for the future. But I, I I sometimes catch myself. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I'm just like, enjoy it. You know, you don't have to work all the time. Just enjoy it. But it does bother me because I don't think I can turn it off. Yeah. Like I I watch skate videos now and I'm like, Oh, it's such a sick line. Yeah. And then you're like, Oh, I look at how the yeah, it's, it's I so going, different. I used to go to movies with uh, you know Steve Barris. Yeah, we used to go to movies with Baron. He he's like super into films, yeah. right? So he he doesn't watch them like we do. He watches like you, right? And I remember like like being so into a movie. I'm like, dude, how sick was that? And he'd be like, dude, that was terrible. I'm like what? Cinematography. And he breaks down yeah. like you know the the errors that were made. Yeah. And the at, you know, and I'm just like. Damn, like, dude, I, I wish I could go back to that. Anymore, yeah. You know I mean? yeah, I don't want to lose it. Because like, you start to break it down. You yeah. really like, 
when when you know what go- goes on like behind the scenes, yeah, it, totally changes. it takes the magic away in a sense, but then a new magic forms, which is like, okay, like how did they make me feel a certain way? I want to yeah. know what they did and, 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 you know, how to replicate that if need be in the future. So I want to talk about sharp objects, man. That, that was a crazy one, dude. Um, I'm not going to totally spoil it for everybody, but you had some of like I think your scene with Amy Adams was one of the craziest scenes I've ever seen, dude. That that was like you haven't seen it, huh? No, I'm letting it. Dude. I don't even know if it's a movie, a show. It's it's, it's an HBO, HBO series. series. Okay, it's Amy 10 Adams. episodes. And don't I, I'm not I don't get to watch a lot of TV. In no, general, no, no, no. So. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're solid. That. I'm gonna say this, dude. And this this isn't spoiling it, but at the end, it's one of those where they give you like three seconds, and you're like, oh, like it, like. At the very, it just the twists. credits started to roll. The credits start to roll, and then they and show they you it. like a glimpse, and you're like, no, nah! and it changes. You're just changes like, the whole no. story. Like, but yeah, towards the end, Taylor has a crazy scene with Amy Adams. Okay. Um, I mean, dude, that is probably one of the craziest roles you could have landed. Yeah. So how did that come about? Can we talk about what it happens in the dark here <laughs> with Amy Adams? No. The, what is what's he doing with her? <laughs> You're like it's one of the he craziest. has a sex scene with her, but oh. she cuts herself. So it's the first time in the show, and I'm spoiling it. Sorry, yeah, just spo- but, but I don't know anything about it. I'm like sitting here, damn like, it, Mikey. That doesn't spoil the the plot though. That doesn't, no, no, no. Like you still have to yeah. figure out who killed. Like there's there, and it's Amy Adams is a reporter that comes back to her hometown that she grew up in in uh-huh. Wingate, Missouri, and she's there to investigate these uh, two child murders that happen. One happened a year prior that kind of gave that town uh, some notoriety um, or infamy in a, in a better term. And then one happened a year later and she's sent down back to her hometown where her family that she kind of ran away from is. And she goes to investigate the the child murder. And it's my little sister was the person that got murdered. And the whole town has turned on me at this point. Like they've got their guy. It's me. Uh-huh. Like I'm the one that did it because I'm an outsider. I'm not from there. I don't you know, follow the same rules they do. Um, and she kind of comes in and, and does her own investigation, digs up past secrets that she pushed out of her mind, like dark stuff from the town. And, uh, we end up developing this relationship because we're the two most broken people there. And you find out, you know, through her, uh, story and like her flashbacks, the relationship she had with her mom, who she's now living back with while she's investigating all of this. And it's just like a dark fucked up place with dark fucked up people and uh, we end up developing like a relationship um towards the end of it and uh and the scene he's talking about is um there's a scene at a at a bar when i'm like the police are looking for me and i'm kind of i'm tired of i'm tired of running so i'm like I'm, i'd rather be dead at this point and then it goes uh from the bar to a motel room and for the first time ever really she lets someone fully see her and you realize she's completely covered in words that she's carved into her skin and she she was i like my character starts reading her and it's the first time she's really let anybody truly see who she is and then gets accepted by that because she gave that to me and she saw who i was and accepted me i kind of gave that back uh it was a really beautiful like beautiful scene but it's the context of it and and it's very uh grim but beautiful in a way and it's one of those scenes that you once you see it you're like i'll remember that scene for it's just it was it was a crazy one man and, and with all that said you still you're not going to figure out who did it watch it try to figure out who yeah. did it and it's it's a great show um 
I, I loved it, dude. And it's based off of a book. Uh, Gillian Flynn wrote it. Yeah, Jean-Marc Vallée, he directed Wild, uh, Dallas uh, Buyers Club. Yeah. Phenomenal, phenomenal director. He directed all eight episodes of that. And then Gillian Flynn, who wrote Gone Girl and um, Widows. Oh, that yeah, movie that just it, came, yeah. yeah. Um, I'll have to look. I'll have to watch it. Yeah. So your your place on set has, has developed a lot. Now you're working with uh, people like Amy Adams. Um that how long did that change that's like the past few years or um well that was after um so it was cruel intentions you get me hunter killer and then sharp objects so that was last year and yeah. um it came out uh three months ago or two months ago yeah um like the show finally came out so this is just recent this is like i'm starting to get my foothold and uh and get into a rhythm in a way. Love it, dude. Yeah. Love it. So check that one out, Sharp Objects. And then also let's talk about The Outpost. Mm, um, yeah. And, and so I have a couple of questions for you. Uh, is, is weapons training something that you've always done or was there a role that you really want? Because I've noticed on your Instagram, you do a lot of weapons training. And yeah. I didn't know that your girlfriend um, shoots professionally. I didn't know that until today. So is that something you've always done or did you do that for a role? Uh, it's something I've always done. Okay. I mean, I grew up with, with guns in Virginia um, and came out to California. Not allowed to like bring them out to California. So that kind of like yep. disappeared for a while. Um, and then I'd go to like the shooting range every once in a while, some friends of mine. But uh, when I met Jamie, she was like very much into it. She had a lot of friends and like, you know, the SF teams and whatnot that she had trained with prior. So she was like super focused on it. And when she latches onto something, she, she's gung ho. She'll go all the way through. And mm -hmm. she ended up getting so, uh, you know, progressively good at shooting that she got sponsored and she ended up, you know, getting paid to do and travel the world to, to shoot in competitions all over the world. Nice. So because of her, I kind of like got me back into uh, it. I got and, you. Okay. and she has really, really cool friends. I mean, like, but just badass guys that do that professionally, yeah. you know, for, for the USA. Uh, and, and they're the best people to learn from for sure. But I got to go before the outpost. Um, I went down and, uh, I got to train with, uh, some of the guys from fifth group, which is like, uh, special forces guys. Um, and, uh, that was, uh, unreal, unreal experience prior to going to the outpost and then, um, getting into their boot camp. And this movie, I don't fire a single shot because I'm man in charge when the attack happens. Oh, you are. So I'm in the I'm in like the tactical operations center. So we, <laughs> we had these great guys. Um, you know, Ray Mendoza, who's a Navy SEAL for like 17 years, was one of our, um, you know, our like military coordinators. Um, and Jericho Denman and his brother, um, they're uh, amazing, amazing guys. But they taught us through, and it was like the third or fourth day in, and there's only so many rounds of blank ammunition they could have brought into Bulgaria, into the country. And we had two weeks of training. It was like third or fourth day in. They're like, <clears throat> Taylor, we got to take away your gun from you. They're like, you don't need the training. We want you to lose your, uh, or use your lip gun from now on. So I literally had to go through the rest of training. So the other guys could use blanks to learn like, you yeah. know, how to, you know, manipulate their weapon and whatnot and look legit as they're moving. And I was using my my lip gun you know, pew 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 <laughs> for all the exercises crazy it was yeah that was that was funny but um so let's break down the um i i researched the the battle of cop keting cop keating cop keating yeah cop keating 
So just to kind of frame it up, this it happened October 3rd, 2009. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to just cue this up real quick for the audience. And then you give the detail okay. on the uh, on the actual um, event. So it was in um, by the Pakistan border. And there were, let's see, 53 soldiers and 20 ANA. What's ANA? Um, Afghan National Army. So they're like the coalition. We're the coalition force. But yeah. Um, it's Afghanistan's like troops, basically. So there's there's 73 troops there, and this this happens in a valley, and it's the bottom of a fishbowl. It's the bottom of a fishbowl, and basically, they were surrounded, and they tried to massacre this group in at Copkeating inside of this fishbowl valley. So that's the gist of the story. Now, um, give give some more detail because obviously you studied this before you shot the film. Yeah. So. Um, Cop Keating was like the most remote outpost in Afghanistan at that time. Um, if you wanted to get troops there or resupply, you could only fly when there was no moon out. So if there was a full moon or even like a crescent moon, you could not fly because you would be shot down. So you had to fly in, um, I think it's called Red Alum, where there's no light available. So guys, uh, helicopter pilots would be flying these giant Chinooks into the valley in pitch darkness, basically and had to land troops, and that was the only way to get things in and out, otherwise you'd be shot down, it was that dangerous. And um, these guys, these 53 uh, um, soldiers, they had to stay in this outpost for nine months. And they're, when I say at the bottom of the fishbowl, like they were surrounded on mountains, like 360 degrees, 5,000, 6,000 foot mountains, and Taliban would just shoot directly down into, like, like, just, like they were plunging, basically, directly down into the camp. Before this event, I read that there were 45 engagements. So basically 45 um, engagements before um, the actual event happened. Sorry, keep going. Um, I'm sure that's that's true. They're, they're called um, uh, Troops in Contact or TICs. I'm sure it was way more than, than 45. Hmm. And a tick is anytime you get shot at or mortars get lobbed in or, you know, anytime you're get, you get shot at and return fire. So 45 seems low to me what these guys went through. They My got bad. shot since every day. Since 2009. So 45 since 2009 is what they said. It right. could be, I just watched a video on someone that broke it down. So my info, you know more than me. Keep going. Let's go off your info. Did any of it feel like, you're like, oh, I wanted to be this. Yeah. Now I'm like acting it. It's such a surreal thing because I... Two things that, you know, one, I always knew I wanted to do that didn't end up happening. And then another that I didn't know I wanted to do that I'm in love with. And they kind of merged together. It was one of those great, like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, Yeah, that's cool. So tell us about getting in character for something like that. What do you go through to to play the role to the best of your ability? What was great about um, the the military coordinators is they put me in charge for the two weeks of boot camp. So if... All of, all of the guys that were filming, all like, you know, there was probably 20 of us. We had to, you know, show up at a certain time um, for training that day, you know, for trying to figure out how to move in a formation. If we're not there at, you know, let's call it seven, seven o'clock in the morning on the dot, ready to go, fully kitted up, then we're running and it's my fault because these are my guys and I'm in charge. So I, it was, they didn't explain that to me at first, but I, f- I thought they hated me. And I felt for the first you know, week, I felt very alone, like I did something wrong. Like why are these, you know, these guys picking on me? You know, these Navy SEALs and Army Rangers just like really singling me out. And I got pulled aside, I think on the fifth or sixth day, and they were like, you feel this pressure? 
you feel like, you know, we're yelling at you and barking down, you know, and just shoving information down your throat and you're going to have to sink or swim. This is what it feels like every day for people in charge of other people's lives. So if you got soldiers out there and you're stressed out, good. You know, this is what it feels like. I want you to remember what it feels like to be in charge for every single buddy and the consequences that you all have to deal with because of the lack of communication or lack of effort or lack of will. Remember this. And they just drilled that into me for those two weeks over and over and over again. So when it came time to film, uh, it was, I, I felt like I was in charge. You know, I knew everybody by name. I had to do a head count before we did anything. I was helping run drills at a certain point it was kind of handed over to me they're like you're in charge now figure it out and you filmed in bulgaria in bulgaria sofia bulgaria crazy man so you had you had actual navy seals that were bossing you around the whole time before you started yeah it was badass i love that that's pretty that is pretty badass it was like a dream come true as a kid yeah and those they're the coolest guys in the world they're like total professionals and then once we were done boot camp and their job was just to make us look as good as possible on film, they became the raddest guys ever. Like, oh, fuck, you have a personality. That's, like, yeah. what was that two yeah. weeks ago? Yes. Yeah. They're just cool guys. Is it any, any, uh, tell us, tell us about being out there filming. Tell us about anything that happened of interest that while you're out on set out there in Bulgaria. Um, How was it day to day? You described it a little bit right here. Uh, the first, <laughs> The first, I think it was, I think it was day 10. We we're still doing boot camp and Interpol raided the hotel we were staying at. Um, like Interpol, like the, yeah. I guess UK's police force. I don't know. They raided the hotel and I woke up to uh, fire, fire alarms going off at like five o'clock in the morning. And I remember going out because we had a 6 a.m. pickup time and I went out to the, um, the hallway opened the elevator door and as it was opening there was four dudes like with m4s and kits on it was bulgarian special forces and i was so like i was out of it at that point and i get on the elevator and like keep like facing towards them and then we go down the door open back uh, opens back up on the 13th floor and they kind of brush past me and i look around and there's like 40 cops there i guess there was um some uh some sort of money found in the walls of people's hotel rooms, like tens of millions of dollars <laughs> that didn't belong there, I guess. No um, way. I, I think I can say that cause I'm not there anymore. But, yeah. uh, but on a day to day, wake up super, super early, five o'clock in the morning. Um, you have to be out by six. We get picked up in a big van, um, like seven or eight of us in, in a van and we drive an hour to set. And the set was at this uh, rock quarry that they had rented out and surrounded by like huge, huge, you know, mountains and and steep cliffs on all sides. Um, And we would film for, you know, six hours. Sometimes we'd have like an hour lunch break unless we were working through lunch. And then we'd do another, you know, five and a half, six hours after that. And that was every day, Um, you know, five days, sometimes six days a week. And then we do night shoots, but it was, it was very go, go, go. And because we didn't have a lot of time to ourselves, we were forced to, you know, bomb with the other guys. It was, it was the perfect experience because we needed to portray that these guys knew each other better than, you know, their, their wives knew them, yeah. better than their girlfriends knew them, better than their family knew them because there's nothing that bonds people more, especially soldiers, more than war. I mean, yep. you see every aspect of the human condition all tied up in this one confined space and you have nowhere to go. You're not, you're not, 
you know, going to go take a vacay when you're pissed off at your buddy or when you're having a shit day, you can't just walk off. So being together and staying in the same hotel was like way together. You know, we went to sleep at the same time, woke up, worked all day. And then if we had time, we'd hang out after, but it was like every day for two months. And it was great. Yeah. Because I think it really came out in the movie. Um, Gosh, man, war, war, doing movies based on war must be such a different experience than, than a lot of movies. Was that, is that, would you say that? Uh, because it was mostly guys, there was, there was no, uh, nobody was like posturing, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes like people act differently around, you know, women, they try to be cooler than they are. They try, you know, this, this is stuff we want to hear, the stuff that we don't know about the set. Um, <laughs> but because it was, it was like literally all, all guys, were, yeah. you know, um, nobody was like trying to one up anybody or be cool or like, you know, talk shit or, or be somebody they're not. Everybody yep. was like, we're all here to, to solve the same problem and we're doing this together. And, um, it's definitely not the women's fault. It's definitely the guy's fault that, yeah. you know, act differently, but it was cool because there was no drama throughout the entire, you know, filming process. Orlando Bloom was in it. He was amazing. Scott Eastwood was in it. He was amazing. Caleb Landry Jones. We had like such a great crew of people and from all walks of life. And we bonded together through this, which love is it. Uh, not always, amazing. not always the case. Yeah. Yeah. I love it, dude. All right, dude. So before we're, we're kind of getting to the end here. So is there anything as far as people, just what's it like pursuing acting? You, you described it really well, going to auditions. Um, well, I mean, for, what, what, more, more or less, what could you, what could you say to people who are trying to do it? Yeah. Like people who like want to be an actor going through the grind. We have a close friend who uh, wants to start acting mm-hmm. uh, and it's a lot of no's. What, what could you tell them? Like, to get through that process? Um, first of all, a lot of people that ask, like, I want to be an actor. And first thing I say is, okay, you know, what classes are you in? Do you have a local theater that you're, you're working in? Are you, are you reading up on, you know, acting books every day? Are you watching podcast interviews with your favorite actors? Are you watching behind the scenes movies? How many scripts are you reading a day? You know, how many, how many scenes are you doing by yourself in your room when no one's watching? before you want to be anything, you got to put in the hours and hours of work. And that's, you know, even if you don't want to be a professional actor, but you want to get into acting, you still got to do those things. If you want to feel good about yourself, it's like, how many times did you try a kickflip before you landed it growing up? For sure. Eight months, eight months. There you go. Yeah. You know, and that's just one trick. So if, if people want to be, you know, in the entertainment industry, you got to fully immerse yourself in it and expect it to hit back hard. And it's not going to be nice. Yeah. You got to want it. I mean, you got to want it more than you, you want to sleep at night. Cause there's times when I had two auditions the next day and I got to learn 14 pages of dialogue and be off book. Cause I, I'm not going to, what am I going to hold the paper in front yeah. of me and totally take everybody and myself out of the scene. Yeah. You got to be off books. There's, I agree with you. I think you have to be obsessed, but what about the people that like, I, I want to be an actor, but can't, can't be con- completely consumed by it. Is it just like, Hey, this isn't for you. Uh, no, I don't. I think, I think everybody's like how do you teach somebody to become completely obsessed. Mm, you don't. I think, I think if they're not completely obsessed about it at thing. that point, it's the wrong thing. Yeah. yeah. What, what makes you happy, you know, yeah. and you, it changes all the time, you know, in 10 years, the thing that makes me happy now and wakes me up in the morning could be completely different. Yeah. So you have to keep asking yourself that and keep, you know, self-assessing. Um, but for people that want to get into acting, but are not like completely obsessed about it, it just might be a hobby for them. Maybe yeah. they just go to an acting class once a week cause it helps them get out of their shell or yep. 
maybe they find out that, oh, I do want this more than I think I do. And then you have to make that change because there's a million people out there that want it more than you. Yeah. Yeah. What are you going to do differently yeah. that, that separates you from the pack? Because when you go out and audition, there's 400 guys, 500 guys all auditioning for the same part. You guys, everybody starts to look the same. Everybody starts to act. And what are you going to do to like separate yourself? Because I'm not the most talented guy in the world, but I'll fucking outwork anybody. Love it. Anybody. Yeah, I love that. Love it, dude. And that's, you know, that's that's consistent. I mean, normally we interview entrepreneurs. It's the same thing. Same exactly. It's the same thing. You have, to, you have to be willing to work seven days a week most of the time you're coming. It's, it's the same exact thing. The story you said, same exact thing for everybody that we interview. Um, There's joy you can find in that, though. It doesn't oh, have for to sure. be like a, you know. I love it. Uh, well, I think when you're obsessed with it, it's joyful because yeah. you love doing it, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. So what's uh, anything on the horizons for you? What what are you working on? Can you say any up and coming projects? If you can't, all good. There's a uh, a few things that are kind of on my radar, and then Joey Stanton, my uh, uh, my agent, and I were trying to package together a potential uh, movie uh, and sell it to um, you know hopefully Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, can't say like what it is yet, but it's the first time that we've decided to, like come up with a story on our own and then present it to them and see nice. if we can make it happen. Yeah. Um, so that would be awesome. And then uh, I'm also starting to get into like script writing. My mom's a, an amazing writer. Nice. And so she's very much pushing me to to go down that road too, just so I can get a well-developed um, feeling for, for story because it starts on the page. So doing that. Um, and then uh, it's the first really break I've had this, this year. So definitely going to spend time with family. I'm actually tomorrow going to go drive out to Vegas and you know, do Thanksgiving with my girl and everything. So I want to take some time to relax, reset, enjoy, yeah. enjoy it. Love it. And so I can be fully prepared for the new year. Um, and, it, and give it my all. Yeah. Where, where can everybody find you? Um, where, what's the address we're at right now? <laughs> no, you want to put that out? That you want to put what's that Instagram? Is Instagram, uh, yeah, Taylor, Instagram John Smith. Taylor John Smith? Yeah. And then, um, Twitter, but I'm not good at using that. So probably just Instagram. Instagram. <laughs> yeah, cool. yeah. Taylor John Smith. Awesome. Cool. Awesome, dude. Well, Taylor, seriously, man, thank you so much for doing this, dude. I like, thank you for I having don't me. Ask, seriously. Like, I don't, like, I don't, I'll ask entrepreneurs, but like, I thought about asking them, like, dude, I'm not going to ask them. I mean, you're never going to hear me ask you anything again. But, um, like, <laughs> we'll see. What? I, no, like, I don't do that. So, Emo dude, work over here. I, I went out on a limb and I'm like, this dude's so cool. I'll bet you he'll do it. And he did it. So, thank you, man. This I is the highlight it. of my day, man. Thank yeah, you guys for having it. me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. So, really appreciate it. Check out Sharp Objects on HBO if you haven't already watched it. Um, the Outpost, when's that come out? Outpost comes out on the 10th anniversary of the actual attack. Oh, so, shit. October 3rd. Um, October 3rd. Oh, wow. So, year. it's a year out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah crazy it's that far out is that common when you shoot um it's that's actually pretty pretty good you know some movies take a year and a half hunter killer um the movie i filmed in london i did it in 2016 it just came out oh wow uh, this past month yeah that's crazy i didn't know that so just depends all right you guys we'll check out taylor john smith and taylor man can't thank you enough thanks so much for coming out thank you guys and let's wrap it there